Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. The Leader brings you news, interviews, commentary and analysis every day at 4pm. Subscribe to make sure you don't miss an episode and please do share the show. Use the hashtag The Leader Podcast. From the Evening Standard in London, this is The Leader. Hi, I'm David Marsland. British-Iranian woman Nazanin Zaghari Ratcliffe is stuck in prison in Iran with coronavirus apparently spreading among the inmates. One of the things she said, which was probably the thing that, that alarmed me the most, was that there's no cleaning products in the prison. They'd run out of disinfectant, they'd run out of sanitary gel, they'd run out of all the things that you would be advised to use to keep yourself safe. And they, they've got washing up liquid and they've got tissues. Her husband, Richard Radcliffe, speaks to the leader about desperate attempts to keep his wife safe and what the British government must do to help. The ambassador or the consul should be on the phone every day. I want the test results confirming that none of my citizens have got coronavirus. Taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column, this is The Leader. For the whole thing, pick up the newspaper or head to standard.co.uk slash comment. In a moment, Richard Ratcliffe on the threat of coronavirus in the Iranian jail where his wife Nazanin is being held. There are lots of questions being asked about the spread of coronavirus in Iran. For a start, there's a number of cases. 388 confirmed by the government there, 34 related deaths. That's a mortality rate of 8% for a disease the World Health Organization says kills 2% of those infected. Doctors are wondering why the numbers don't add up. Are all the cases being reported, such as those said to be in Evan Prism? Tehran says there aren't any. Campaigners claim inmates have died from the infection. And in that jail is British-Iranian woman Nazanin Zaghari Ratcliffe, nearly four years into a five-year sentence for allegedly plotting to overthrow the Iranian government. Her husband Richard Ratcliffe is pressuring the UK government to help her before the virus spreads. This week, she told her family she has a cold. Authorities will not test her for coronavirus. Mr Ratcliffe's given an interview to The Leader podcast where he talks about his heightened fears for his wife, what the UK government should do to intervene and how their five-year-old daughter Gabriella is settling into life in the UK without her mother. 
I began by asking how Nazanin's health is holding up. Yeah, and the honest answer is I don't know. I last spoke to her on, on Wednesday uh, and she'd got a cold in, in Evan Prison. She was talking about having a severe sore throat, a headache, and that she'd woken up with a sweat. And, OK, that's hopefully just a normal cold, but that's in the middle of a context of coronavirus having come into the prison. There have been rumours of cases on the men's side. There's rumours of, of people losing their lives on the men's side. Now, those are rumours because the authorities haven't confirmed. The authorities won't confirm. So in a context where you know the government is hiding stuff you know you're not being told the truth, you don't know what the truth is, there's a real potential for, for, for panic. So, you know, we, we were just telling her, look, just you know, go through this sort of checklist of all the different symptoms. She didn't have all of them on, on Wednesday. And then just, you know, telling her to make sure she's going to get tested, go and get checked and just check your temperature and, and fingers crossed. But your heart must have dropped when she said, I've got a cold. Now, normally you just think, Oh, I'm very sorry to hear you've got a cold, but you know that coronavirus is in the country, you know that government ministers have been getting coronavirus in the Iranian government. You must have been terrified. It's been a, it's been a, it's been a horrendous week, of course, because we had, you know, a week ago we, we, we were blithely ignorant of it and it was something that was happening in China and, and then suddenly, that's right, cases emerge in uh, Iran, then there's cases in the prison, then there's people being moved in different parts of the prison and, and it just creates panic and, and one of the things she said on Wednesday, which was probably the thing that, that alarmed me the most, was that there's no cleaning products in the prison. They'd run out of disinfectant, they'd run out of sanitary gel, they'd run out of all the things that you would be advised to use to keep yourself safe. And they, they've got washing up liquid and they've got tissues. And at that point, I thought, gosh, you know, well, I mean, I don't think she's got it now, but do I think she'll in a place where she'll be safe and she won't get it? I mean, it feels very precarious. So you're worried it's a, effectively a ticking time bomb? Yeah, no, I mean, we, we're kind of hoping we'll be lucky. And, you know, obviously people are in harm's way that are lucky and people are in harm's way that aren't. Um, certainly I'm in contact with lots of the other families um, of those Brits who are being held in Iran um, in the same prison and other um, nationalities as well. Really trying to talk through, gosh, what can we do? What can we do to get our government to notice, to get the UN to notice, to just get our family safe? We've seen um, a number of families of political prisoners have been calling for their loved ones to be released temporarily to, to be home because, you know, it, it does feel like a death trap. And, you know, there have been rumours of people being released in the past couple of days. So we'll see where it goes. We'll see, we'll see what it means. Um, and, I mean, as I say, hope to goodness it's just a cold. Were those people you mentioned being released, uh, was that because of coronavirus? Uh, so it won't be officially acknowledged. I say that the, the Iranian authorities are not great at, at fessing up to the truth. Um, but, yeah, the, the judiciary have announced that if anyone meets certain criteria, then you'll be released. Unfortunately, one of the criteria is you have to have been given a sentence of less than five years. So it seems to be like it's designed deliberately to keep hold of the foreign hostages. So you don't, there's no glimmer of hope that coronavirus might ironically be the way to get your wife out? I, no, I, I don't think we're thinking tactically. I, I think it's just keep her safe. My message to the British government, you know, is not, OK, find a clever way to get her home. It's just, just make sure she stays safe. How have they run out of cleaning products? In this prison? Well, I mean, it's a really quick, like, how can you possibly? The, the, the official line is, is there was a budget, a certain number of products for the, for the week, um, for the month. They've used them up for this month. They won't be in until next month. The prisoners can buy extra ones from the prison shop, except that shops run out as well and, and can't get any more. And of course, you know, Iran has been hit by the coronavirus and been blindsided by it, and it's run out in all sorts of places and all sorts of ways. So, for instance, they had a load of masks that they sent over to China to deal with its problem, then they had no mask when the problem came to them. So th there'll be ways in which 
you know, the system is not set up for responding. It's, it's a good autocratic system where people do what their boss tells them um, and they don't have the autonomy to make pragmatic decisions. Um, they've clearly got um, sanitary gel and um, disinfectant for the guards because they're still being able to, to wash their hands and, and, and take it. It's just not for the prisoners. And you get that kind of complacency and sort of casual indifference that the Iranian system has to ordinary people um, that we've seen in lots of forms in the past few months. And, and of course that feeds then into the panic in that you know the government's not telling the truth, you know the government doesn't really care, and you know you have to take matters in your own hands to try and push them to, to do something. How is Nazanin's health before this, because you have raised some concerns about how her condition has appeared to be getting worse. Yeah, it's, it's been fragile for a long time, and, and it's the legacy of being kept in solitary for so long and, and all of the trauma she's been put through, and, and there's clearly psychological scars, and then there are physical consequences. Most recently, she'd had, uh, I mean, she was taken down to see the prison doctor back in January with an irregular heartbeat um, around the time of, of the General Soleimani being assassinated and, and all of the fallout there. And she was due to see a specialist, and, and then the prison checked what her charges were and said, well, if you're in for these kind of crimes, you're not entitled to see a specialist, but you can see you can have a mammography instead. Like, kind of this really strange kind of horse trading with the health rights. I mean, the UN, as you look at strangely, the UN has issued statements on her case saying, listen, the denial of health care as a form of pressure, and it is a form of pressure on us and a form of pressure on the British government, you know, is a tantamount to torture. You know, and that's pretty strong language from the UN when they said that. Um, there is a way in which the Iranian system will allow her to suffer a bit, will not want her to die, I suspect will not want to test her to confirm she's got coronavirus or not, will be happy with an ambiguity that she's got a cold, and, and yeah, if, if, if she gets really close, then, then things might move. But prison's not good for your health in all contexts. It's particularly not in, a, in an arbitrary context where you're being held and used as a chess piece as, as she is. But are you concerned then that your wife may have coronavirus and Iran will never tell her? Uh, I think or never treat her? Never. Uh, I think the, the prison will be very reluctant to test her, to have it confirmed. I think they would be happy enough. You know, if she gets a bit poorly but recovers, fine. If she gets very poorly, I would expect they'd, they'd you know, let her go to her mum's and still not test her. But they'd let her go to her mum's with the possibility that she has coronavirus. I wouldn't put anything past the Iranian regime. Their preference is to hide bad news at all levels. And we've, you know, how did you end up with all these ministers getting coronavirus? It was because the reality was being suppressed. And all of this is happening after a new head was put into the prison, so the regime had got stricter anyway? Yeah, it's been getting much, much tougher over the past few months. We had a head of a prison who'd come from another prison who'd been essentially learnt the lesson that you need to be tough to be rewarded and promoted. Um, it's done a series of things, so banned all children's visits, reduced the rations, put bars on the windows. So, you know, when you have a visit, there'll be a screen there. Make sure there are bars there so that, that when you see your relative, you're seeing them through bars, you understand you're in prison. Any of the guards that were particularly had a good relationship with, uh, um, with the prison, transferred to a, either a different ward or to a different prison. So a real kind of, this is a new regime, this is a tough regime, I'm in charge. And obviously that's created all sorts of reverberations and shocks. We've had various people have been transferred to different prisons because they were, they were you know, too mouthy and so on. And, and it comes in a context where, yeah, you end up with people feeling very despairing. Um, and, you know, I've been on the airwaves in various forms talking about how, how low Nazneen is, um, feeling that this is a, you know, a situation that none of it's of her making. Um, it's a profound injustice and, and, you know, looking faintly, strongly, desperately to the British government to, to do what they can to, to try and get her out of it. OK, but what can the British government do or what have they not done that they should be doing? 
Well, so, I mean, on, on the coronavirus issue specifically, they need to be getting it really clearly, uh, you know, confirmed that A, she's been tested and all the other British have been tested and they're all okay. B, they're kept safely, that there are adequate provisions for hygiene and there's adequate medication and, and you know, the basics are there and, you know, the ambassador or the consul should be on the phone every day checking and having that confirmed and I want the test results confirming that none of my citizens have got coronavirus. That they could do and that's probably all they need to be doing right now. There are bigger things in terms of Nazneen's case. It, clearly she's being held as a chess piece in relation to a dispute between the UK and Iran over some money. Th that can wait for another day. Like right now let's just have the focus of the Iranian prison system, the focus of the Iranian government on keeping people safe. And your daughter Gabrielle, how old is she now? Five and a half. Five and a half. half. The half, half is, is always very important. Very, very important. I know um, that. Nearly my, six, as she was liking. <laughs> my son just turned six. Uh, he held on to that half for a very, very yeah. long time. How is Gabriella taking this? How much does she know? How much of it? How have you been able to tell her? Yeah. So we've not told her about coronavirus. Um, obviously, she's aware that she's here. She's with Daddy, Mummy's not back yet. Um, she was supposed to come back with Mummy. There was a whole disorientation when she came over on her own. She knew that was for school. And, and she does ask, well, when's Mummy coming home? Um, typically around bedtime. You know, it's when things sort of quieten down. And, um, and she'll ask, well, why is my Mummy in prison? And, um, you know, when someone else says, why do I only have one? You know, a Daddy and no Mummy. So there's a way in which she, she tries to probe it and, and, and process it. There's a way in which she's only five and a half um, and she lives in the moment and, you know, equally, well, you know, can we go to the ice cream shop or can we go swimming? Or, and, and probably for her, I mean, she's relaxing more into being here. I think it's, it's one of these things you notice afterwards. That she was obviously quite daunted when she came over. She was quite quiet. She's got loud, in some ways less assertive. There's quite a assert, sort of a volatile assertiveness to her at the beginning and, and now she's, she's better able to speak English, better able to communicate her, what she wants more softly. And, and she's got friends at school now and, and that way in which, you know, she'll take advice from her father on what she should eat or whatever else. But, but if her other schoolmates are eating something, she'll happily eat it as well. So there's a way in which it feels like she's settling, but does ask questions about, uh, you know, when will we be normal? And what do you tell Nazanin about Gabriella? So probably the most important thing for Nazanin on the phone call is to try and speak to Gabriella and to hear how she is and particularly how her school is. And, and, and of course, I don't know if you've ever tried small children on the phone, but they're not always the most forthcoming when talking to relatives. And, and it would be true, it was true for me when I was in here and she was over there, it's true for Nazanin now and, and that can be quite hard for her. She, she wants to know that she's settling in and that she's getting on okay. She's proud of how you know she's adapting to school and, and how her English is coming along. And at the same time, obviously, misses the fact that all that's happening and she's stuck in Iran. And, and there's a way in which, you know, to go back six months ago, all of our lives were on hold in some ways. And, and, and Gabriella was growing up, but neither Nazni nor I, it's always we could deny that. We could pretend we were going to go back to where we were when she was 21 months when this first started. And now, of course, my life and Gabriella's lives are moving on. Nazni remains stuck in prison, remains you know, frozen in that sense. And that has its, its, its challenges as well for her, um, and for me, emotionally. It's time to get her out, isn't it? Um, yeah, no, I think it's, it's gone on long enough. I mean, we're almost up to four years. Um, you know, I met with the Prime Minister, what it was, a month ago, and, and essentially that was exactly my message, as to, you know, what are you doing, what's your plan, this needs to be over, and, and um, you know, we really are playing with fire, keeping her in harm's way all the time this continues. Well, the Foreign Office says the government remains extremely concerned about the welfare of British-Iranian dual nationals detained in Iran, including Nazanin.
The Prime Minister's raised the issue with President Rouhani. Iran says prison staff are on alert for the disease and measures are being taken to prevent an outbreak. The government has so far denied any cases of COVID-19 inside Evan. And that's The Leader. You can subscribe through your podcast provider to make sure you don't miss any interviews, news, analysis and commentary from the Evening Standards newsroom. We're back at 4pm on Monday. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.